Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring Curiosity Stream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Taste Made for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. And less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at smartbundle.com. I am a loving person. Every day I wake up, I help my 10-year-old daughter get ready for school, then prepare breakfast for both of us. After that, we will walk hand in hand to her school. At her school, I will kiss her goodbye, pat her back, and tell her I love her. I will wait at the gate, waving at my daughter, until she disappears behind that corridor. I am a kind person. After sending my daughter to school, I begin walking to work. I smile at people I pass, giving them small encouragements as I walk on by. On the way to work, I also see many, too many, homeless people along the road. Out of the kindness in my heart, I never fail to dig out some loose change in my pockets to give to them, hoping to bring some relief to their suffering. I am a helpful person. During work, there will always be those few people who don't quite seem to understand some simple things. But it's alright. No matter what kind of problems they face, from printer problems to Excel problems, I will always lend them a helping hand. I will put down my work and help them until they figure out their problems. I am a selfless person. After work, I am not like everyone else. I don't get in my luxury sports car and drive back home to lie on the sofa or stare at the television? No, not me. Instead, I will head to the nearby nursing home to help volunteer there. I will help with the cooking, some cleaning, or maybe simply just lend a listening ear to the abandoned old folks. I enjoy volunteering there a lot, and the people there feel the same way towards me. As you can see, I am a good person. After volunteering, I immediately head back home. After all, my daughter is probably home already. The first thing I do as I reach home is to give my precious daughter a hug. I will listen to her day carefully and talk to her. Then I proceed to the kitchen to prepare our dinner. I first prepare my daughter's favorite hamburger and fries, followed by my simple meal of meat, veggies, and rice. Lastly, I prepare a bland bowl of porridge in case someone gets hungry. And then we eat. We sit together in the dining room, and we eat together and share more about our day. Finally, after we eat, I do the dishes. I clean and clean and clean, and ensure everything is spotless. You might imagine that after I have done so much, it is now time for me to rest. But that's not right. I have one last thing to do. I grab that bowl of porridge and proceed to the backyard. I walk quickly and purposefully to the shed at the back then open the dog door. I quietly insert the bowl into the shed. Hello, your food is here. Consume it quickly, then push it back out. It's not much, but whatever. I muttered softly as I knocked the door. Immediately comes a series of crying from the other side of the door. I block out the noise, smile to myself, then walk back to the house. And that's my last job of the day. I decide to go spend some time with my daughter in her room. 
As I walk in, I see her face light up at the sight of me. Dad, Dad, you know the bully at school? He already hasn't been in school for a whole week. I'm starting to think that he's never coming back. I'm so happy. She shouts in glee. I smile at her joy and reply. That's wonderful. Remember not to go into the shed, all right? There's lots of dangerous equipment there. My daughter nods and continues snuggling in my arms. I think. Don't worry, child. I've taken care of him for you. You'll never ever be hurt by him again. I'll protect you, my beautiful girl. See? I am a loving, kind, helpful, and selfless father. I am a good person. And no one is allowed to hurt my daughter. I couldn't understand why the charge nurse gave me such a strange look when I said I was going into room 14 to take a nap on my break. It wasn't unusual for us to occasionally roll a stretcher into one of the rooms to sleep for an hour or so during break on a night shift. We work 12 hours straight and just take one long break in the middle so we can actually get a decent nap in. I guess if you want to, she said, her brow furrowed. Oh, Shannon, he's new. He doesn't know about it. Jody, another nurse, said cryptically. Sharon, the charge nurse, turned and looked at her. <laughs> You're right. I guess nobody's told you yet, she said, turning back to me. What? What's the deal with room 14? Now I was curious. It was the only room on the floor we had available. Everybody else was already sound asleep in their assigned sleeping cubbies. Conference rooms, storage rooms, you name it. We'd roll a stretcher in there and nap our brains out. Well, everybody who works here knows it's haunted, Sharon said. I thought she was kidding, obviously. Serious people don't believe in ghosts. People like Sharon, who is as sensible as they come, definitely didn't believe in ghosts. Seriously, I chuckled. I didn't believe in ghosts at all. I knew everything that people claimed had some rational explanation. I had seen a documentary about it once. It was fascinating how people came up with things in their minds and would remember them later and elaborate on them, making them more fantastic, adding characters like ghosts to make them seem more exciting. All a bunch of pathological liars, like the people who claim to be abducted by UFOs, or so I thought. You guys believe in that stuff? They both looked at each other, sending psychic messages back and forth. I had only been working there for a bit, so I hadn't developed that particular talent yet. Also, I didn't know the one thing all new nurses should know. Listen to the people who have been doing it longer than you. They almost always know better than you do. Especially when you're really new, which I was. I mean... If you don't believe us, you can give it a shot. Guys, no, seriously, that's not okay. The voice in the corner chimed in. Leung, a guy who had also worked there for a while. You really should not sleep in there, Jason. It's not a good place to sleep. I usually trusted Leung, so I was a bit disappointed he was joining in on this apparent prank on the newbie to the floor. Maybe they just wanted to sleep in there themselves. So they were just psyching me out, I thought. Okay, guys, I get it. I'm the new guy. But seriously, I think I'll be okay. I'm really not worried. 
Liang tried again to convince me, but I blew him off, thinking he was taking the joke too far. Sharon and Jody had given up and were sitting there silently, waiting to see what would happen. I laughed self-consciously and went to the clean supply room to grab some blankets and brought them into the room. It was a semi-private room with two beds. They were both clean, so I figured I would just change the sheets when I was done and forget about rearranging the room to pull in a stretcher. This would be easier, and I was dead tired. I turned off the lights and lay down in the bed closest to the door. The room was silent and dark. I let my mind drift off to sleep. I had a terrible dream. I dreamt that someone was standing over me, watching me sleep. I knew exactly where I was and felt awake, but really, I was still asleep. I tried to lift my arms but found they wouldn't move. I felt paralyzed and filled with dread, as I tried to look up but couldn't. I could only see a dark, vague outline of something large and malevolent. I heard the thing speaking angrily, and it began to shout. I couldn't understand its words. My heart began to race as I realized this thing wanted me out. I tried to stand up but found I couldn't. I began to panic and thrash about in the bed, finally, mercifully, waking up. I realized I had been asleep, and I dreamt the whole thing. The whole thing had been a product of my overworked, overstressed mind. But why then did I still feel such panic and utter dread? It felt as if I could die at any moment. The room was silent and dark for a few more moments. Then I heard someone clear their throat next to me in the pitch black room. I felt a chill run down my spine and goosebumps spread across my entire body. The curtain beside me had been pulled across while I was asleep, separating me from the bed next to me. I wanted to believe it was another nurse that had come in and closed the curtain so they could sleep in the other bed, but I knew that wasn't it. I could already tell something was wrong. I had to see. I pulled out my flashlight and looked beside me, terrified. Nothing at first, and then I saw a hand, gnarled and bleeding, green and black and rotten, pull back the curtain from beside me. The face that stared back at me from the second bed was not human. It was something evil, something which I'd gotten in here which was not supposed to be here at all. It was an abomination, a terrible, wrong thing in a place that should be meant for peace and healing. I screamed so loud I woke up the entire floor of sleeping patients. I ran from the room, falling over and bruising my hip badly in the process, getting tangled up in the laundry bin near the doorway. I fled and left the hospital entirely. I've never gone back. I can't bear to be in the same building with that thing. Now that I know it's there, I can never be in that hospital again. I could certainly never be a patient there. The patients would always tell us they had trouble sleeping in that room. I would call up the doctor and ask for some melatonin or some zopiclone, maybe a lorazepam if it came down to it. But now I understood the real reason why no one could ever sleep in room 14. His mother died giving birth to him, and I couldn't forgive him for it. If that makes me something rotten, then so be it. I wept dryly by her dying side, stunned, 
and as the doctors and nurses chided me out of my seat so as to attend to the paperwork for the mutant responsible for the death of the bloated woman lying in the plastic hospital bed in front of me. The doctors ushered her body away and brought me to the boy with ropey tumorous skin covering his mouth. They assured me that a procedure to remove the fleshy patch keeping his mouth shut could be exercised and they would just need me to sign off on it. I did and handed the cold and whimpering child with no mouth off to them, excusing myself to the bathroom. The primary physician seemed to regard me with some understanding pity, but how could he? I stood in the bathroom, stomping my rubber soles against the solid tiles beneath my feet. The man looking back at me from the mirror seemed to be much smaller than I remembered. I'd been so red and boisterous and ready for the family life. Now the man there slumped his shoulders and his hair seemed to be greasy and gray. His eyes that of a stabbed bull in the arena, looking up and accepting death, terrified and darting. I briefly wondered what it would be like to kill myself. I could buy a gun, go home, paint the walls. This conclusion was wholly unreasonable, I know. This would leave the boy alone in the world. Though more importantly, everyone would regard me as a poor parent. So I stuck. Adoption? Perhaps. Call it a grief-induced confusion if you want. But I prefer to call it being taken away on a wave of extremes. High tide, low tide. Moving quickly between the proposition of acting as a good newly single father and being the bastard that ducks out when needed most. I was deeply sad. That is my only defense. And that sucks. After washing my face in the deep bowel of the hospital bedroom, I wandered back down the lime green hallway to press my face against the window of the nursery where my son lay. He rolled back and forth, twisting his small and inconsequential limbs in all directions, with his eyes wide open in terror, nostrils flaring. He wished to belt out a scream like any other baby might, and yet was refused even that. The muffles came from him, small. They cut him a new mouth, and as he healed, it was almost easy to ignore that jagged look of his lips. The doctors assured me they would heal nicely with time, and that I would hardly be able to even notice they'd ever been sealed shut. I took my son home, and within weeks I buried my wife. The funeral was brief and small. The baby did manage to cry out with its newfound mouth on that day. So did I. I'd cry into my pillow as the small boy lay on the bed next to me. He would look up at me with curious, blue milky eyes, and the world would fall away for a little while. Time went by. Weeks. One morning, I awoke to my alarm and was stunned to find that my baby wasn't crying from his crib. I could hear him struggling in his haphazard blankets and I could tell he was attempting to muffle out a high-pitched babe's scream. I darted to the crib, terrified that he was choking on something. As I looked down into the crib, I saw him staring up at me with those pleading blue eyes. He had no mouth. It had sealed itself over again. His nostrils flared hysterically, and his soft feet kicked out below his twisting torso. I panicked. I took my child up in my arms and rushed him to the kitchen phone in hand, ready to dial 911. I could feel the boy thrashing in my arms, and I almost dropped him, but 
but abandoned the phone instead. The cell phone shot from my hand and slid across the kitchen tiles. He was gagging, and snot and vomit shot from his nose. The image of me holding the limp form of my dead baby in my outstretched hands shot through my mind, and I decided that was not going to happen. It was quick enough work. I grabbed a long butcher's knife from the block on the counter and held him over the sink as I carved him a smile. Was I doing the right thing? The dam in his throat broke, and the sink drain pooled with blood and vomit. I screamed. He screamed. I was terrified and sick to my stomach. I was immediately struck with how small I felt. Was this what being a parent was like? Surely no one else in the history of the world had ever had to perform such a macabre act on their infant. Tears streamed down my face as I patted him on the spine and he choked up in the sink. Years passed. He would come up to me in the morning. I would brush his hair neatly, straighten his shirt, cut him a new mouth for the day and send him on his merry way. I would be lying if I said that the thought of sending him off to school with runny red lips didn't eat me up most nights. Beyond his poor eating habits and his strange mouth problem, he is a lovely child. I swear, I, I can't get that kid to eat anything. Sometimes after dinner, I find the contents of his plate in the trash. Although he must be getting enough nutrition, he doesn't seem to be wasting away. The first startling clue was when the dogs in the neighborhood started going missing. It wasn't the craziest thing in the world to be sure, but seeing as we live in a rather upscale, gated community, it was definitely odd to have a dog burglar on the prowl. Then the dog's mutilated corpses would be found in undeveloped portions of the community, or in sewer drains. Each of them had massive chunks of flesh taken from their bodies, as though they'd been dined on. Speculation of wild coyotes or mountain lions ran rife through the neighborhood, and I was sure to keep a closer eye on my boy so that he wouldn't be munched up by some wily beast. I purchased him a puppy for his fifth birthday, and he said something to me that chilled me to the bone. Thank you, Daddy. I've been so hungry. I thought this was a strange quip, and nothing more initially. But I sleep with the dog in my bed these days, as sometimes I can see my son giving the poor thing a sideways glance, with a twinkle in his eye. I'm beginning to wonder whether or not he was born without a mouth for a reason. I don't know if I plan on giving him his smile this morning. My wife is alright. I don't know why everyone keeps asking. Sure, the cancer came on suddenly and aggressively, but she has had an amazing team of doctors who have done everything they can. That's a direct quote, too. Her main doctor, Dr. Andrews, told me so himself. When I asked to take her home to let her finish recovering from all her treatments, they seemed hesitant. I'm sure they would have loved to be able to bill us for the rest of her recovery time spent in the hospital. But what she really needed was just to come home and recuperate. So, they eventually agreed. The first night we got home, she was especially quiet. It must have been really strange for her to see the house again, after so many months away. I helped her get comfortable in bed, and decided to turn in myself. It had been so long since I was able to hold her, as we drifted off to sleep. 
It's the most peace either of us had felt in so long. I woke up before her in the morning and began to make a big Saturday morning breakfast. I knew her appetite would be small still, but I figured she'd appreciate the gesture. When I was finished, I went to our room and carried her to the table. After spending so much time lying sick in a bed, her muscles had atrophied. While we ate, I brought up the idea of having a physical therapist come to help her regain her mobility. She stared at her plate, not saying a word. I could tell I had hurt her feelings, pointing out how illness had changed her one strong body to mere flesh and bones. I tried to redirect the conversation, but she wasn't hungry anymore. I took her back to our room so she could rest a while. The next few months were hard on us. We tried to readjust to living together, but it wasn't as easy as it had been before. I still had to work my 9 to 5, and she insisted on going to bed as soon as I got home. Honestly, I was starting to get a little pissed off. I was doing everything under the sun for her, and she couldn't humor me with just a little attention when I got home. I figured maybe she was depressed, being in our house, remembering our old lives together. Our son was way across the country now, too, studying at college. His semester break was only a week or so away, so I called him up and asked if he would be willing to come visit for a while, rather than stay at his apartment, as he planned. He was more excited about the idea than I had thought. He hadn't been home since the week his mother left the hospital, and I knew they missed each other terribly. They've always been so close. The day finally arrived, and I went to the airport to pick him up. We chatted the whole way home about his classes, friends, and some new girl he was seeing. We were so deep in conversation, I almost missed our road, and then almost missed our driveway a few moments later. As we approached the house, my son began to act strangely. He claimed he could smell a dead animal somewhere, possibly under the porch. I couldn't figure out what he was talking about. When I opened the front door, he began to gag. Dad, it seriously smells like something died. Maybe it's in the wall? I really don't know what you mean, kiddo. Mom and I haven't smelled anything. You and Mom? Yeah. Did you forget? The doctors let me bring her home to recover. We were now standing inside the foyer, the stairs to our bedroom directly to the left. Go on up and see her. She's been waiting for you. My son's face contorted in a combination of disgust and fear. What the hell is wrong with him? I wondered as I followed David up the steps. When we were at the top, he slowly walked into our bedroom and let out the most bone-chilling scream I've ever heard. Dad, what the hell? I mean, seriously, what the hell? Oh my god. Why the hell is mom's body in your goddamn bed? I knew you were having a hard time with her death, but this is just sick. David, what the hell are you talking about? I asked, slightly irritated, as I sat down beside my wife. I didn't know how she could remain so calm during all this. I, I gotta go. I, I'm gonna go. Damn it, I think I'm gonna be sick. Dad, we have to call someone. They'll understand, but you can't leave her here to rot. David started walking towards the stairs. He's lost his mind, I thought. I had better stop him before he goes to call Lord knows who and gets himself locked up in the loony bin. I approached my son and tried to grab his arm, 
get him to turn around and see that his mother was perfectly fine. But he flinched, hard. He was just so close to the edge of the stairs, and he lost his footing. Even though it only took me a few seconds to get to the bottom of the stairs, there was already a huge pool of blood pouring from his head. Rest. That's all you need, Davy. Just a little rest. I'll help you get cleaned up and back to your room. When I woke up this morning, the house was quiet. I peeked into David's room, but he was still asleep. Must be tired from all those finals, or maybe the long flight yesterday. I crept quietly into the kitchen, careful not to wake anyone else up. I wanted our big Saturday breakfast to be a pleasant surprise for them. As I cooked, I couldn't help but smile. My wife is alright. My son is alright. I am alright.